cliffcentral.com. All right, now let's turn our attention, shall we, to Anthea, who's on the line to talk to us this morning. Hello, Anthea, how are you? Good morning, Gareth. I'm well, thanks. Uh, winter's definitely here. Other than that, I'm good. Yeah, you can feel it, huh? Yeah, it's definitely cold. All right, so let's start off with um, a solidly positive week on the global markets. Do you think that there is a disconnect between the markets and the real-world economy for most people? Oh, there's a complete disconnect because basically another day, another business rescue, right? So, yeah. yes, and last week we had global markets positive again. The S&P 500 is now down just 10% year-to-date. The all-share was up. The RAND is now 1835, so again, a lot stronger. I mean, even in our bond market, it all fell below 10% for the first time since March. And just for the record, when the yield falls, that's a good thing because it means that people are buying our bonds. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and this, of course, we've had COVID-19. We've had the downgrade by Moody's. We've had downgrade, extra downgrade. Um, it, it is interesting to see the outflows, though. So when we downgraded, the all investors who are holding South African bonds sold 54 billion rands worth. Wow. But then also last week on the macro front, we had foreign reserves increase, which, of course, is always a good sign if you have spare cash. So what does that actually mean? I mean, explain it to, uh, to somebody who doesn't know what foreign reserves are, like me, for example. So foreign reserves are basically what you use or what you calculate to pay your, for your imports and versus your exports. Oh, okay. So obviously, yeah, so it's very simple, actually, right? The thing is, it's held in U.S. dollars. And so, of course, there's a couple of things with this higher foreign reserve number. First of all, oil has fallen through the floor, which is a big import of ours. Uh-huh. Gold is higher, um, and still they kind of use gold as a, as a metric. And then because there's no global trade, our imports have obviously increased or, or not as much as they were before. And so, obviously, the foreign reserves, the amount of money we're paying out of the country – has actually improved a bit. Just on that, though, it is a very volatile number, so I, I would take that with a pinch of salt. Yeah, I, I saw some horrible footage over the weekend of what's going on at OR Tambo in our cargo bays, um, where people who've been importing things into South Africa just have not been able to get them cleared, and they're sitting there in, in complete disarray. There are just boxes and boxes and boxes in these enormous warehouses that are just waiting to be sorted and shipped off and... No one is doing anything because they're all at home. No one's working. And, and cargo, obviously, is a major, you know, a major route into the country, air cargo, uh, for many products and, and, and imports. And they're all just sitting there at the moment. So it's a bit of a disaster. So we sometimes watch the um, planes that come in and out of countries just to give us an idea of what's happening on the ground. And South Africa has practically zero passenger planes, but every single day we have at least, at least two cargo planes coming in and out. Yeah. Well, that, that's, so I can imagine that that's happening. That stuff is just sitting there at the airport at the moment. So someone, and it's just gathering day by day more and more. Um, so someone has to take control of that, obviously, too. Can we just talk mm-hmm. quickly about, while we're talking local business, so Caxton Publishers said that they're getting out of the magazine business. This after um, Associated Media did the same thing just a week or two yeah. before. Yeah, so Caxton, they guys who publish uh, Farmers Weekly, Roy Rosa, Women and Home, uh, People Magazine. Yeah, so a couple of names under their brand. The reduction in the overall amount of ad spend basically has what's led 
Yeah. And then the kind of the, the, the straw that broke the camel's back was obviously COVID-19 and the high level of cancellations that they had in the last month. So, so not just reduction in ad spend, but complete cancellation. And that's how they make their money. So of course, but, but you know, it's, it's another business that's been in structural decline anyway. And COVID-19 was kind of the breaking point for them. Magazines, printed magazines, very difficult business to be in, I think. Anthea, we need, we need a new tool in the financial uh, arsenal, and, and you've got to maybe work on this for us, is we need a tool that can ascertain whether or not a business was already failing before COVID-19, and they're using it as an excuse, or it was as a direct result of the lockdown and the pandemic that a business shut down. Because there are going to be lots of people who take advantage of this to make an excuse for an already failing business. We mentioned the SABC earlier. Maybe magazines were already on their way out, and this is just this, it's just expedited that process. Surely we need some means of figuring out whether they're lying to us or not when it comes to the reasons for their failure. <laughs> so, we, I mean, that's what we do every single day as asset managers when we decide which companies to be invested in. And the next two examples are very interesting because Pumalela Gaming, that's the gambling business, also filed for business rescue last week. Ooh. And this is a company that was already in decline, actually, yeah. um, for a number of reasons, because of competition and because of government gaming regulation or gambling regulation, I should say. Um, and then, of course, what happens when there is absolutely no more horse racing, they've got no more re- revenue. Just by the way, I want to point out like an arbitrary fact yep. that Pumalela Gaming, one of its um, one of its directors and largest shareholders was in fact Marcus Euster. Oh. So, and then the other funny one, which really intrigues me, is ComAir, because they're filing for business rescue as well, and they've suspended their JSE listing. So if you had shares in ComAir last week, you can no longer know you can now no longer trade out of them. Hmm. And Kame was a good business. I mean, this is a business that for 23 years made profit, and then last year for the first time showed a loss. Very strong balance sheet. Granted, they still had land from SAA that they needed to recoup and obviously were not going to, so had to write that off. But still, they were a very well-run business. Um, and so now they've gone into business rescue, saying that it's the best option to in- ensure the long-term survival. So I think what they'll do is team, they'll kind of rise from the ashes, if you like, <laughs> hopefully, anyway, and then start up again. But basically, the board is now no longer in control. Mm-hmm. Um, and the board really just is, is almost its responsibility in saying, you know, as a going concern, we need finds it. Like in my business, you need financial liquidity. You need a certain number. You need a certain amount of cash. You need insurance. You know, all the things that cost money they have just gone into business rescue so that they don't have to meet. And hopefully we'll save some of the cash, restructure the business, and then start up again. Um, so, so that businesses are using COVID-19 as an excuse, I think a lot of them are going to. And a lot of them undoubtedly are going to restructure, lay off people, and they almost need to get us to survive. Mm -hmm. But what else do you do? Yeah, I I just, this business rescue is going to become a major burgeoning area for lawyers. Um, and, And obviously for the tax collectors, it's very bad news because a lot of these companies used to pay big tax 
payments every year, you know, to make big payments to SARS, and, and those are now going to dry up. Indeed, it really is a very scary downward spiral from unemployment to tax revenues and just like general demand across a number of things because, you know, it, it, it offsets other businesses. So if one business goes, the other businesses that they were supporting will also have to file for business rescue. So talk to me about ABN Bev. Yeah, so they put out... Um, their first quarter results, they now report quarterly, obviously, because they're an offshore company. And no surprise, really. You know, they're saying globally volumes are down 9%. If you exclude China, the volumes are down only 3.5%. Um, uh, China's volumes are down 46%. Suddenly, <laughs> people in China stopped drinking beer. Wow. Uh, but it, it's not just South Africa where things are coming to a halt. You know, even if the country has said, fine, go out, you can smoke and drink alcohol if you want to. The point is that because people are in lockdown and they can't get to work and they can't transport things, there's a supply chain disruption mm-hmm. um, limits the amount of product that you can get to the end point and therefore what you can sell. So, of course, AB and MBEV have suffered significantly I think this is an interesting one because it, it, it it's it's so cheap at the moment. It's like on a well, let me see if I can remember. I haven't got it written down, but it's on a fifteen times twenty twenty forward price earnings ratio, and even lower than that, I think, for twenty twenty one. So it's the cheapest I've seen it in a while. But the problem with AB InBev is also from here on out, emerging market currencies, especially commodity-based currencies, are going to get stronger because during COVID-19, they really took a bad hit, like ours, for example. Right. And, and I've always said that our currency is undervalued, and so it should strengthen. And a stronger emerging market currency for AB InBev, which are the areas that they operate mostly, is not a good thing. And then they've also got a lot of U.S. dollar-denominated debt. So even though ABNB looks so cheap and so tempting to buy it, yeah, it, it, it's a difficult one. You would you would probably say then stay away for a moment or two, right? <laughs> Don't rush into this one. <laughs> Don't rush into this one for sure. Yeah, hang on. Right, okay, <laughs> stay out of that. All right. How about Sappy? Uh, Sappy, obviously, they've got the mills. They do the paper. They do a bunch of other things. How are they looking? Two main businesses. One is their glossy paper, and the other one is DWP, uh, Dissolving Wood Pulp. They're just shocking. <laughs> this business sales is down 13%. Operating profit on 56%. EBITDA, which is your earnings, fell by 30%, so a third. So really just an incredibly tough quarter for SAPI. And even though we knew because of the magazines, which we spoke about earlier, going into business rescue or failing, this glossy paper part of their business hasn't done particularly well. But now the dissolving wood pulp business, which is really relies quite heavily, believe it or not, on the clothing retail business, because it gets mixed in with your clothing, um, the fiber business, obviously. Yeah. And because the economies around the globe are locking down and retail is not doing so well, now suddenly it's hit fine. So another company that you actually just want to stay away from. I'm not sure if it'll go under because I have another cap later on. Um, but SAPI is one of those companies that have struggled, have been struggling and really relying on clothing retailing. And now that's disappeared. 
It's not looking good. And are we hearing any any statements from government about all the concern around these companies shutting down? I mean, is anyone speaking out and saying, hey, hang on, guys, we've got to rescue this stuff before it falls out completely? Well, finally, our finance minister spoke up last week. I mean, I think he's seen the light, right? He's saying that the economy urgently needs to reopen, but we need to balance it with the need to protect people's lives is basically what he said. Right. Yeah, so so he's definitely speaking up. I, I mean, he's a funny old chap. I, I do like Tito, but I also saw later on that he tweeted something about not questioning government and their, their motives. And I was like, well, what makes you think you're above questioning? Yeah. So, like, the one group of people and, throughout human history who've plunged more people into misery, poverty, war, starvation, danger, death is government. So we should be extremely suspicious of you, actually. Yes. So on the one hand, he's so logical and going, guys, we really need to get this economy kickstarted. And on the other hand, he's going, like, he's completely illogical. Like, how mm. dare you think we can't question you? I mean, like, it's our vote that got you there. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> And then just very quickly, Gareth, a bit of offshore news as well. Um, On the macro front, the Bank of England has kept interest rates unchanged. And basically, you know, so their interest rate is now 0.1%. So still not negative, but it's like as close to zero as you can get, right? Okay. Um, And then they've kept their quantitative easing purchasing unchanged at 645 billion pounds, which is just after the March increase. And in the U.S., this jobless numbers claim is unbelievable. Last week, another 3.17 million people in the U.S. claimed. It's just so this now, the last seven weeks total in the U.S. is 33 million Americans or who have lost their jobs, I should say, not out of jobs. They may have been employed separately after they put in their claim, but just 33 million people lost their jobs in seven weeks. Yeah. And that's, that's how, that's basically our entire um, working population almost. Yep. Just about. In fact, I think it's more than our working population. The number of people who've just gone into unemployment in the U S is more than the number of people who work in South Africa. Oh, that puts it in shocking perspective. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Oki wants to know, should any business not just go into business rescue if there's guaranteed to be no income until October? Um, it's it's quite a process, um, and Oki, you've asked a good question. It's a question which uh, is best posed to a guy called um, uh, Symes. Uh, what's his name uh, at, at Fluxman's? Colin, uh, Colin, Colin Strime. Colin, Colin Strime, sorry. Colin Strime at Fluxman's Attorneys. You can go and look at the podcast. It's on cliffcentral.com. He's an expert in business rescue, and you might want to go and check out what he has to say there because it's not just about income. It's about kind of what your forecasted uh, revenues are, what your, your staff component is, your costs are, um, who you owe money to, that kind of thing. So it's worth taking a listen to the Fluxman's uh, podcasts, and you can find those on cliffcentral.com. Anthea? And also, very importantly, when you go into business rescue, you basically give up control of your business. And so you may not have or they may not afford you the luxury of restarting your business after the lockdown ends. Right. Exactly. Okay. Um, Anthea, anything else you want to throw in? Um, no, I think that pretty much covers it. I mean, the lot going on, you know, in the U.S., we had we're about... 75% through earnings season, and earnings have dropped by, and you'd think this would be a bigger number, but only 8%, a much bigger number. But then again, these numbers that we're seeing now that the U.S. is reporting is only until the end of March. 
Hmm. April, the second quarter will be a lot worse. And then, of course, also in the U.S., we've seen Neiman Marcus, which is kind of the symbol of luxury in the U.S., the retail business, go into uh, file for bankruptcy. Um, so, yeah, there's, there's a lot going on. Sure. Everywhere. We're, we're not the only ones where companies are reporting or filing for business rescue. The only companies that are doing particularly well, actually, are still very much kind of the, the Internet companies, Internet-based, Amazon, Microsoft. Um, yeah. Sure. Okay. Well, <laughs> this is not good news, especially for those people who do like the luxury brands. Uh, how many of them do you think will survive long term? It's a really interesting question. Uh, in, a, in a world where luxury brands are going to become much, much less important to people than they were a year ago. I wonder how many of those will make it through. Well, I, I don't know if I told you this, Gareth. A couple of weeks ago, when China unlocked the economy, Hermes, they have a, a, like quite a big store in China. Mm-hmm. They made $2.7 million in sales in one day, on the first day after China opened up its economy. Sort of the biggest sales, one-day sales target they've ever reached. And, and so I think what you're going to see is that people, once they come out of lockdown, are generally going to go out and spoil themselves. They need a little bit of a treat after being in this lockdown. Even I'm beginning to feel like that. Um, but then once the reality hits, you know, it's like, oh, well, people are losing their jobs around me. I may lose my job. And then they'll suddenly start tightening their belts. So I think you'll see a bit of an increase in luxury brands or not even luxury brands, but kind of spoils a little bit, and then nothing. The retailers are really going to suffer. The only ones that I guess are going to survive are the absolute necessities, food and clothing. Thank you, Anthea. Always good to check in with you. That is the money shot, which on a Monday morning just gets us in touch with what's going on in the macro economy and what's happening to businesses in South Africa, things that you need to know if you feel like you're part of the economy, whether you like it or not, you are. And Anthea Gardner, who you can always get hold of through our website, and you can catch up on podcasts you might have missed by going to cliffcentral.com. Thank you, Anthea. Good to talk to you, as always. Cliffcentral.com.